Why are there gates around cemeteries? Why are there gates around cemeteries? Answer, because people are dying to get in. Oh, okay. <laughs> kind of corny but catchy, right? Right? All right, this morning we're going to continue our series, Real Christianity. And I've entitled the message, What Are You Thinking? What Are You Thinking? Lord, I do thank you. It's just an absolutely beautiful day. We just praise you for that. Praise you for our worship teams, Lord, and just the time of worship that we've had together. I thank you for the new people that are here uh, and just visiting, Lord. May you bless them. May they experience your love. There's nothing like experiencing your love. And I just ask, Lord, as we now turn to your word, Holy Spirit, that you would manifest yourself in a powerful way, that you would give us soft hearts just to receive, ears to hear, that you would fill me truly from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head, and we would receive your word that gives life and freedom. So I'm thanking you for what you're going to do now in the next several minutes, and I just praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Soul, those are virtually synonymous terms, and when we talk about the heart, the mind, the soul, that's really, in essence, who you are. That's who I am. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 this, Now may the Lord of peace make you holy, that's something, holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. The Apostle Paul makes it crystal clear here that humanity Human beings, and if you looked in the mirror this morning, I guess you saw that you are a human being. We are triparate. That means that we have three major aspects to us. If we were to chart it, it would look something like this. The soul, that's who you are, and we'll talk about that more in a moment. Then you have your spirit. Your spirit, by the way, is what allows you to relate to God, to the spiritual realm. And then it says you have a body, and your body is what allows you to relate to the world, to people and things and animals and whatnot. And when you die, your body ceases to exist. You don't cease to exist. I don't cease to exist, but your body is gone. It no longer functions, and therefore you cannot relate to the world around you. Now, as you look at the chart, you also see that your soul is triparian. There's three major aspects to your soul, to who you are. You have your intellect, that's the thinking component. You have the emotions, and that's the feeling component. And then you have your will, and that's the decision-making component of your soul. Now, please listen to this. Your intellect or your thinking component is extremely important. In fact, it says in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7 this. Skip, can you put it up? As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Another translation states, as a man thinks in his heart, so does he become. Needless to say, our thinking is extremely important. It will determine the health of your soul. I want to say that again. Your thinking is extremely important. What you think will determine the health of your soul. Now, the Bible tells us that there are really only two kinds of minds, two kinds of thinking. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 and verse 5 this. Skip, can you put it up? Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about 
sinful things or worldly things or carnal things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things, notice, think about things that please the Spirit, which are eternal and heavenly things and holy things. Again, Paul makes it absolutely clear here that there are only two kinds of minds, two kinds of thinking, and I want to look at each one of them briefly. Let's look at the first one, which is a worldly mind or a carnal mind. You see, when you come into this world, you have software. Did you know that? Think of your soul as a computer. Skip, can you put that up? There it is. Think of you as a computer. Now, computers are wonderful things, but they are nothing without software. You see, software gives the computer the ability to understand, to make sense of the data that is being inputted into it into it. So when you are born, you are given software. You're not a tabula rasa. You're not a blank slate. In fact, your parents pass on to you their software. That's what gives you the ability to interpret what you see, what you touch, and what you feel. And according to the Bible, when we come into this world, we all come in with what's called worldly or fleshly or carnal software. For example, Skip, put up the picture. You see, money, what do you think? What do you think? What are your thoughts when you see a load of money? I'll tell you what most people think. They think security. They think freedom. They think fun. Question, what do you think Jesus sees when he sees that picture? Danger. He sees danger. Let me give you two scriptures for our thinking. Luke chapter 16 and verse 13. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one, and you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money or God and mammon. Obviously, Jesus has a negative view of money, and there's a good reason for this. Please note that Jesus did not say you cannot serve both God and sex. He did not say you cannot serve both God and drugs or alcohol. He did not say you cannot serve both God and your profession, although those are true statements. He said you cannot serve God and money. There's a reason for this, because the chief idol of man we're going to see is money. In fact, it's interesting. In the 1940s, there was a kind of a famous psychologist by the name of Abraham Maslow, and Maslow came up with what we call the hierarchy of happiness. It is kind of grafted like this. According to Maslow, he said that in order for you to be happy, in order for me to be happy, our physical needs, notice that had to be met first, like air, water, food, you know, shelter, clothing, etc., etc. If you have that, that's the, without that, you're, you're just not going to be happy. Notice what he said is second to bring in happiness, security. What brings humanity, for the most part, security? Money. A nice, fat bank account, doesn't it? A nice, fat bank account generally brings us security. It is interesting to note that money will be the ultimate undoing of humanity. One of my favorite books, as most of you know, is the book of Revelation. If you haven't read the book of Revelation, you should, because it has a blessing. It's the only book, in fact, in the entire Bible that gives you a blessing for reading it. And in Revelation chapter 17 is a fabulous chapter, and there we're told this. Listen to this. Skip, you can put up the verses. It says this. 
one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls. Now, if you read Revelation, you're seeing what Revelation really is about is Jesus Christ taking back the earth. He has the title deed, and he's going to take the earth back. He first has the seven seals, and then in the seventh seal is the seven trumpets, and in the seventh trumpet are the seven bowl judgments. So it's kind of like you ever see July 4th is coming up, and it's kind of like fireworks. You know how they build up, and at the end it's boom, 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 boom. You know, it's really exciting. Well, this won't be very exciting. But it, 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 it's going to be quite a show. And it says this. He's, so one angel is holding one of the seven bowls, and he come, came and said to John, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute. Who is this great prostitute? Notice she sits on the many waters. Waters here in the Bible refers to people to the Gentile nations in particular. And please notice her position. Whoever this prostitute is, she rides, she controls people. That would be you, that would be me. She controls nations. In fact, watch what John says. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. You know, in the Bible, when you hear adultery in reference with God, it's not meaning sexual. It refers to idolatry. So God views when we worship an idol, we put an idol before him. He calls that adultery. So we're looking here at the chief idol of man. All, it says, the kings of the earth. All of humanity is consorted with whoever this idol is. Now watch this. Then the angel carried me away, verse 3, in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman, that's the prostitute, and she's sitting on a scarlet beast. If you read Revelation 13, the beast is a reference to the Antichrist. That's the coming world ruler. It's also a reference to his empire. They're one and the same. Hardly a distinction made in the book of Revelation between the Antichrist and his empire. And, and, and notice what it, it says there. There I saw the prostitute sitting on the scarlet beast. Guess who's controlling the beast, Stephen? Guess who's going to control the Antichrist initially? The prostitute. See, this prostitute is one powerful person. It is one powerful idol. Notice that the scarlet beast, the Antichrist empire, is covered with blasphemous names, not too surprising, had seven heads, that's the seven great previous empires, and ten horns. That means his, his, his empire is going to be divided into ten nation states where there will be ten presidents over them. Then watch this. It says the woman, that's the prostitute, was dressed in purple. That means power. And scarlet, that refers to blood, the blood of the martyrs and was glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her forehead, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Wow. This prostitute is, Paul or John says, is a mystery. The mystery is Babylon the Great. What did Babylon do? You know, a lot of people, and, and, and I just don't understand it, you'll even have Bible scholars, even the cemeteries that I came from, I mean seminaries, excuse me, Dallas, Talbot, they'll sit there and say that what Babylon did was they were the author of false religion. 
And they'll say what really controls the rise of the Antichrist, what controls people is false religion. And I'm just thinking to myself, are you kidding me? Not all the kings of the earth have consorted with false religion. Not all the peoples of the earth have consorted, in fact, with, you know, uh, 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 false religions. And, and what absolutely is astounding to me is that in the end of days, do you know what the false religion will be? Anybody know? It won't be money. It's going to be the Antichrist. If you do not worship him, what will happen to you? You cannot buy or sell. See, what Babylon coined was money. Babylon coined money. And what is going to be necessary for the Antichrist to rise to power is money. Just like Adolf Hitler. Skip, can you put up his picture? I mean, we are not students of history, but do you know what allowed Adolf Hitler to rise to power? It was in 1929, the crash of the, of the stock market. That's what gave him the He couldn't make traction in Germany in the 20s until the crash of the stock market. And with the crash of the stock market came a worldwide economic calamity. Hitler rises to power on that. There is going to be, in other words, a major worldwide, another major worldwide economic calamity. If you're reading the papers, please do. You're looking, we're living in a time, there are bubbles everywhere in the world economy. There is going to be a major crashing, I can't tell you exactly when, but it's sooner than later. And this isn't even, you know, Bible scholar, we're talking about major financial people telling us this. Now look what it says in verse 6. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore the testimony to Jesus. You see, remember in the, if you enter in, and we enter into what's called the tribulation period, it says if you do not take the mark of the beast, you cannot buy or sell. You can, so his ticket into power is the economy. He's going to fix the economy. You know, Skip, can you... Pick it up again. Luke chapter 16 says this, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one, you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now watch this. The Pharisees, he dearly loved their money, heard all this and scoffed at him. They said to them, You like to appear righteous in public, Jesus says to the Pharisees, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Can you believe that? This is how God really feels about money. This is how dangerous money is. And here are the Pharisees. Look at this. They are the most spiritual people on planet Earth at that time, and they value money. They equated money equaling the blessing of God. Do you know there are Pharisees today? There are Pharisees today. Did you know that? They're called the prosperity people. There are prosperity preachers. And by the way, evangelicalism, sadly, is buying into it. It is tragic. I just want to read to you 1 Timothy chapter 6. I wish we really had more time this morning. If anyone teaches false doctrines, so we're talking about false teachers. Now watch this. It does not agree to sound instruction, which we don't have today, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to godly teaching, he is both conceited, understands, uh, uh, he has an unhealthy interest in controversies and arguments and results in envy, quarreling, malicious talk, evil suspicion, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind, who have been robbed of the truth and who think, now watch this, watch what these false teachers think. They think that godliness is a means of, they think that 
Godliness is a means of, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Jesse Duplantis makes it in the news this all this week. I am embarrassed. I need a $54 million jet, ladies and gentlemen. Are you kidding me? This is an embarrassment, an absolute embarrassment to the church of Jesus Christ, and we tolerate this garbage. It is unbelievable. But let me tell you something. That's how powerful money is. You have a whole slew of preachers who have sold out. And you look at the way they live. It says, but you want to see a godly man or woman? They're content with what they have. They're content. Do not tell me these people are spiritual when they're living in mansions and palaces and flying in jets. You're kidding yourself. They're false teachers. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we had food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many grief. Well, I wish we had more time, but we need to move on. I want us to show us, you know, another proof, you know, that, 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 that we have and, and come in the world with worldly or what I call carnal software. Money's just one example of that. Skip, can you put up the picture? There is my first granddaughter, Georgiana, cute as a button, 17 months old. You know, looks like an angel, right? Looks, looks like an angel. Can be, looks can be deceiving. Skip, can you put up the next picture? This is my second child, and, and this is William. This is baby William. Now, my middle daughter, Christy, is the mother of these two beautiful children or grandchildren for me. She's also, you know, a strong Christian, very interested in psychology. So she wanted to try a little experiment once. And the experiment was this. She left Georgie, and Georgie was playing with her toys, Okay, and, and then right next to her was baby William, and baby William was just lying on his stomach, you know, kind of like a blob, all right? The experiment was this. She was going to pretend to leave the room and see what happens. So Christy leaves the room, you know, and she goes around the corner and peeks, and it's, Georgie looks to see if, you know, Christy's gone. When she thinks that Christy's gone, Georgie gets up from her toys. She goes over to her baby brother, and she goes, that's true. <laughs> she, she, you know, and of course, Chrissy quickly comes running. Now, but that makes perfect sense. No, that makes perfect sense if you have worldly software. Why? Because, see, Georgie's actually pretty bright. That's competition there. What do you do to competition? You stamp out the competition. She got Donald Trump down early. No, I'm just kidding. That was a bad joke. Okay, bad joke. Just seeing if you're paying attention. Now, lest you think that my granddaughter is a little bit satanic, I just want to be clear here. Your child is every bit as worldly as my little grandchild is. In fact, you know, several years ago, the Minnesota Crime Commission, which is not 
a Christian agency, it is a secular agency, took the world by storm when they made this statement. They released this statement. Every baby starts life out as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch, or whatever. Deny him these things, and he sees with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy each one, every children would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, or a rapist. The Minnesota Crime Commission. You see, the ugly truth is we all, every single one of us, come into this world with worldly software. Have you ever heard of Murphy's Toddler Laws? They go something like this. If it's mine, it's mine. If it's yours, it's mine. If I like it, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I think it is mine, it is mine. If I saw it first, it is mine. If I then put it down, it is still mine. If you had it, then put it down, it is mine. If it looks like the one I own at home, it is mine. If it is broken, it's yours. You see, the reality is, all kidding aside, we come in with worldly software. Now, now you see why the world's in trouble. And see, what that means is, when I came into this world and you came into this world, I saw the world through the lens of me, what can please me, and I also understood that the world, this temporal world, meant something. It's important. Get all you can get. That's what worldly software Sees. You know, several years ago, a survey was conducted on what people value in the United States. The question was asked over 1,000 people in the United States, what is the most important thing to you? What is most important to you? That's the question. How would you answer it? Let me give you the top six answers, starting with number six. Number six, being successful. Number five, having a good job, a job that I like. Number four, Money, having enough to do what I want to do. Number three, fun, having more leisure time. Number two, health, being healthy so I can enjoy my life. And finally, the number one answer given, family, having a great family life. Please note, God did not make the list. God did not make the list. All the things that the average American values are of this world. Worldly, because that's because they have worldly software. Now, very quickly, when a person becomes born again, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that when you become born again, anyone who's in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You know what amazing happens when you become born again? You know why you become a new creation? Because you get new software. Your thinking changes. Skip, put up Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We looked at verse 1 a couple weeks ago, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. 
By the way, I plead really not a great translation because it's really not a suggestion. It is a command. Give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for your first 11 chapters of Roman. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, a kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. We've been looking at marks of born-againness. And a chief mark of being born again, we saw, is that you have a submissive will to God. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, take up your cross whenever you feel like it, whenever it's convenient, you know, daily. See, the chief mark of born againness is that I have surrendered my life, and every day I say, Lord, I lay my life down on the altar my goals, my dreams, my desires. I ask you to kill my flesh. The Puritans used to call it mortifying. Mortification. It's a big word. Mortification of the flesh. That's what they practiced. And they said, Holy Spirit, be released in me. And you know what, what happens when the Holy Spirit's released in you? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's life. Now, if you missed that message, please, you can get those on the podcast. But look what happens. Look at another major mark. This is where we're going now because we're talking about thinking. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? Oh, come on. Holy Toledo. We'll pass out coffee beforehand. How is God going to transform you into a new person? By changing the way you think. You walk out of here by changing the way I think. By changing the way I think. People go, I don't know what God's will is because you don't think differently. No new heavenly software. No changing the way you think. And guess what? People go, I just don't know what God's will is for my life, Pastor. Well, do you have the heavenly software? Do you? See, if you have the heavenly software, then you begin to have God's mind. I I call it the mind of Christ, and you begin to understand what he is saying, what he is doing. And it's very tragic how many people really do not have the mind of Christ. I mean, it's evident. In fact, let me tell you this. It doesn't take me but maybe 15 minutes. I'm talking with a person, 15 minutes. And I can generally tell whether they're born again or not. 15 minutes, you know why? Because in 15 minutes, most people tip their hand. You find out what's really generally on their heart, their mind, what they're thinking about. In fact, Paul said it like this in Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 4. Skip, can you put those up? Since you have been raised to new life, he's talking about a born-again person now, set your sights, set your what? Minds on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven. Think, in other words, about eternal things, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. There it is. That's Romans 12, 1. You died. Paul said, the world's been crucified to me, and I've been crucified to the world. And he said, and your real life now is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, isn't this beautiful, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. I'm going to share in his glory. You will share in his glory. Paul's very clear. There's only two kinds of minds. He says, you either have a worldly mind or a heavenly mind. 
carnal mind or a spiritual mind, a temporal mind or eternal mind. So which kind of mind do you really have? Just, I mean, don't lie because your eternity is at stake here. This is a real mark of born-againness. All right, let me challenge this. The challenge this morning, all right, is a little test, all right? You ready for a little test? The test is this. I want you to complete this sentence. A great life would be, here it is, a great life would be. How would you answer that question, a great life would be? A great life would be being rich. A great life would be reaching your personal goals, being famous, a star, having a wonderful family life, getting married to my soulmate, being successful in my profession, traveling the world, having a lot of leisure time and doing what I want. These aren't my answers, by the way. These are the answers that Americans gave to this little test here. A great life would be. Let me ask you this question as we close. How do you think Jesus would answer that question? A great life would be. I I, I can answer it. Let me give you the answer. Here we go. Seeking and pleasing the Father in heaven. Being victorious over sin, the world, and Satan. And you're only going to do that through dying so that the Holy Spirit is being released in you and in me. Impacting Jesus for his kingdom, his eternal kingdom. Skip, can you put up Jesus maybe close to his final words on planet Earth? Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said to his disciples, I've been given all authority on heaven and earth. Therefore, sit and watch television and eat bonbons. No, it says go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. A successful life, let me tell you, is making disciples. Nine years ago, I was terrified in that dream that I had. When I stood before, and I'm a pastor. I mean, I've got two cemetery degrees Third pastor, had been pastoring over 30 years. And Jesus says to me in the dream, where are your disciples? Wow, it changed my life. No, it changed my life. Because I was more interested in filling seats having multiple services and this and that. No, no. And I repented. I repented publicly because Jesus didn't care. He said, go and make disciples. You know what else Jesus is finally interested in? Every person you see, every person you see and meet up with, you treat with biblical love as 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Skip, put it up. This is what a successful life is. You got that? Love. Frank is patient. With you. Frank is kind to you, to his wife. Frank is not envious. I don't boast. In other words, I don't monopolize the discussion about me. I'm not proud. I don't think I'm better than anybody. I'm not rude. In other words, I treat every human being with dignity. I do not demand my own way. I'm not irritable. In other words, I'm not a hothead. I don't easily get angered working on that. Keep no records of being wrong. Wow. Now I'm hearing wow. See, this is a successful life. You want a successful life? I, I can forgive. I can forgive. Can you? Does not rejoice about evil, but rejoices when the truth wins out. I want the truth. 
I'm interested in the truth. And then it says, I never give up. I never lose faith. I'm always hopeful. And, I, and love will just keep enduring. It won't quit. See, that's a successful life. That's a successful life. See, and only if you have, though, the heavenly software, the eternal software, can you possibly believe that's what a successful life is, those four things that I mentioned. Please go over and over this message. Please. It's the difference between life and death. It's the difference between those who are born again and those who are not. Lord, I know, Holy Spirit, you're moving. Long before this message was preached, Lord, I was convicted by it. And I pray, Holy Spirit, as we sing this last song, that will allow you to really reveal, have I truly been born again? Do I really have a submissive spirit to Jesus? Dying daily, practicing dying, picking up my cross, allowing him to crucify my flesh, whether it be lust or envy or pride, whatever it may be, and saying, Lord, crucify that, and Holy Spirit, be released in me. You must increase and I must decrease. As a result of that, do I really have that new software, that heavenly software? I see things from the perspective of eternity now. And I pray if anyone really comes to the conclusion they're not, that they will, even right now, they can make it right by just surrendering to you and say, Jesus, I understand why you came. You came to set me free. You came to forgive me and cleanse me of my sin. You came to make me into a new creation, and I want to receive that. I repent of my selfish ways, and I'm turning to you now this morning. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making Him known.